Okay, if you would please, turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5, and we have arrived. I'll be reading verses 21 through 24. Ephesians 5, 21 through 24. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the Gospel, for the work of Your Son, that He did not just purchase the ability to save ourselves, but He purchased totally our salvation. He purchased the work of Your Holy Spirit to bring us alive to Him. To see with the eyes of faith and trust and delight and love even now, even here while we are yet sinners and He has purchased that power within us to cherish Your Word above all cultures, above this world, and above our own sin nature. So do this work. Help me say what the text says. Help me unfold it and be faithful to it so that we'll see the beauty of Christ in it to the glory of His name. Amen. Okay, goes without saying that once you hit this topic now in our journey through the book of Ephesians, it's like handling hot coals in the midst of the culture in which we live in. And particularly because in this passage, Paul uses the word submit which in this context, it denotes the responsibility for husbands to lead and for wives to be led by their husbands in the covenant, in the life of marriage. Okay. But we live in this age now of liberation where the idea that roles in marriage based upon maleness and femaleness, that is radically counter-cultural. And my response to that reality is this. So what? You know, it's radically countercultural now in the West and in America to declare that Jesus Christ and faith in Him is the 
only way to eternal, unending happiness. That is countercultural. It, it is countercultural today to believe that there are only two sexes male and female. It is countercultural today to understand that humanity, made of males and females, totally equal, absolutely in value under God, but Males are not females, and females are not males, and they are really different. And it takes an education to start to deny that reality. So again, to all of those, so what? So that's the first thing I, I, I want to say before we look at the text. One more thing I want to say is this. These kinds of biblical texts that we are now dealing with on authority and submission within marriage, well, they have been and are being perverted by very many sinful men. Horrifically abused to their own sinful desires in lust and domination. Those stories are out there, sadly. But man's perversion of the gospel or of anything else within Scripture, I pray, will never move me or prevent me as a sinner, a fallible sinner, from doing my best to handle the word of truth. It is true there have been many, many, quote-unquote, professing Christian men who control, who selfishly use, who physically abuse and hit and manipulate their wives in the name of of authority in submission. And that is satanic. That lifestyle that gives a reason for why I act that way is a doctrine of demons. And you can't get it from this text. Paul will go on to address the husbands. Here's your job. Love your wife the way that Jesus loved the church and gave Himself up in death for her. Okay. So now, this morning, in order to try to not cover too much and have an hour and 30 minute sermon, here's my plan. This morning, is to just go to the text, let's look at it and, and see what does it say. Then, I don't know if there's going to be another one on these verses after next week. I just don't know yet. But next week, my plan is to see the big picture, the biblical theology from Genesis to Revelation that is laid out there about males and females. 
and connected to marriage, they're distinct roles that complement one another and they're not against each other. But in God's eyes, they are beautiful. So, if you're there, Ephesians 5. As we come to verse 21, remember that the context goes back to verse 18. Here's the main verb for everything that he's been saying in verse 18 to the church. It is, be filled with the Spirit. And we have seen in Paul's structure there are three results that come out of being filled with the Spirit. First is we sing praises to Him. Secondly, we give thanks to the Father in the name of Jesus. And now thirdly, submitting to one another. And then, what Paul does here, by this third one, the result, he continues and he stretches it out. He gives us three particular examples where submission would be applicable. Meaning in particular relationships of authority in submission. The first, wives to husbands. Then, children to parents. Then, slaves to masters or employees to employers. Now, as Paul writes here, wives submit to your own husbands. Here's the flow in the original. Verse 21, coming out of be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another, wives to your own husbands. The verb submit that is in verse 21, it's a participle, is not in verse 22. It's supplied because that's clearly what he means. So when Paul says one of the results for believers is submitting to one another in particular kinds of authority, submission, relationships. He gives the first, wives to husbands. And so when we read in verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, that word there, be in submission or submit, is the Greek word hupotasso. Let me just give you a feel of how it's used in the New Testament. Peter writes in 1 Peter 3, starting with verse 1, Wives, hupotasso, your own husbands. Wives, be subject or in submission to your own husbands. In Colossians 3.18, Paul writes, Wives, hupotasso, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. In Titus 2.5, Paul writes, Wives are to be, hupotasso, are to be in submission to their own husbands so that the Word of God may not be reviled. 
The word hupotasso, that's what it means. It means in particular relationships, one is submitted to the authority over them. And as Paul addresses this to wives, it's something they are to do. So, so therefore, it means willingly submit to your own husband's authority or leadership in the marriage. All right. There are many within today's evangelical church world who try to downplay that. And in my opinion, watching and reading their exegesis, try to say something I just can't fathom from the words in front of us in these numbers of passages, particularly with Paul. They try to get Paul to say something that he's not saying. And look, here, This is where I'm going to go. This is risky. I'm going to psychoanalyze. I live in the same age too. And so, I think it's, it's because so many, even fellow believers in our society, cannot believe in this modern, political correct age that a husband has any specific leadership role which the wife does not. Because the culture inundates us with how backward patriarchal, horrific, unequal, and abusive, that is. The wisdom of this world, in my opinion, and in our culture, and particularly in the elite systems, universities, and grad schools, it has led to stupidity. It has led to people saying crazy things like there is no fundamental difference between females and males in humanity. They, when they say equal, what they really mean is sameness. We can't draw any wisdom, meaning generalities, out of distinct differences between men and women. The differences that we see are all culturally produced. So we just need to turn it around and give girls trucks and boys dolls and, you know, we'll just see the roles switched then. Except it doesn't work. If you even ask a question like, why is it in some subjects, like in mechanical engineering, mathematics, that there's a generalization. Why is it that 85% of those that go and get their PhDs in these kind of subjects are men and not women? We could turn it around for where women would dominate. If you even say, well, maybe there's something different about men and women, that question can get you fired as the president of Harvard University. Like it did a few years back with Larry Summers by posing the question. And so you will get, let me just, let me see, let's use terms for clarity, like we do with pro-choice and pro-life. There's, there's, there's two competing camps within the precious body of Christ, the evangelical church world. One is called 
egalitarianism. The other is called complementarianism. Those who are egalitarians, we're talking about evangelical feminist, and one of their arguments is to say that the word submit here doesn't mean like submit to because that person has authority over you. It, it means something like be thoughtful, submissive that way, thoughtful of the other, of your husband, be, be, be considerate. Another, or another way to say that submit is to act in love. And so yes, wives, you are to be submissive to your husbands. Oh, and so, husband, of course, you're to be considerate and thoughtful in love. In other words, be submissive to your wives. It's mutual submission. Problem with that is that it's not what the word means. It's not biblical. This word, whether in marriage or any other kinds of relationships that we see in the New Testament, hupotasso always implies that there is an authority and there is the one or others that are under that authority and therefore requires submission. Just a few examples. Jesus, after when he's 12, he's confounding the scholars in the temple. And Luke lets us know he went back with his parents and remained in submission. Mary and Joseph were not in submission to Jesus as they raised him in his humanity. Only Jesus was in submission to their parental authority. Demons are said to be subject, hupotasso, in submission to the disciples. Citizens are said to be in submission to the governing authorities. The universe is in submission to Christ. Church members in submission to church leadership. The church is subject or under submission to Christ. Servants to their masters, believers to God, wives to husbands. That's how the word is always used. And so Paul writes now in our text, starting with verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands, no one else's, yours, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, another argument of egalitarians or evangelical feminists is to say, uh, 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 hold on. The verse right before that, verse 21, says, submitting to one another. So all believers are to be submitting to one another. Therefore, Paul's talking about mutual submission. And therefore, verse 21 overpowers everything Paul says in verse 22 to 24. This whole idea of male leadership in the marriage. 
husband leading the head of his wife. But it doesn't work. That's not what Paul's doing. When Paul says submitting to one another, he clearly then goes on to give some case in points, particular structures of relationships where there is clear authority and therefore those who are under that authority that he is saying to submit to. Wives to husbands, children to parents, employees to employers, slaves to masters. In all of those dynamics, there are roles of the burden and the responsibility of leading and of following. And therefore, the context here and, and the meaning of this verb, hupotasso, it means that those who are under authority should be in subjection to those among you, church, that you find, oh, that's my authority there. So, many men are under the authority of their employers or their boss or in the military, those who are over them. Children are under the authority of many women who happen to be their mothers. Paul's clear in chapter 13 of Romans, all Christians, men and women, are under the authority of the governing authorities over you. Be submissive. You can just take it and go on and on. Players are under the authority of their coach. It has nothing to do with your value. If you go outside and a police officer says, pull over, it's not because in any way that man or woman is somehow superior to you in their essence. It's about roles. And in that role, I beg of you, come under submission and obey the authority there. And in that context, it speaks nothing of how valuable you are compared to that person under God as a person. But it does speak about your role in that particular context. That's what he's driving at. So let's continue on in the text and notice Paul uses an analogy here. Verse 22. Wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So, Jesus is our Lord. He's our caretaker. He's our leader. He's our Savior. He is our head. And we Christians, we don't have mutual authority and submission relationship with Jesus. Yes, I submit to Jesus and Jesus submits to me. No, you can't get that out of this text. Jesus has authority. He has responsibility over us. But that's another way of saying for us. 
Aren't you happy about that? So, as we are in submission to Christ, Paul says, he says, wives are to be in submission to their husbands. Now, why? Why would Paul say such a thing? What is his reasoning to make that declaration? You don't have to guess. Look at your Bible. It's right there in the next verse. Verse 23. See the word for? It means here's the reason for verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord for, or meaning, why? Because the husband is the head of the wife. That's why. He's the head of the wife just as Christ is the head of the church, His body, and is Himself its Savior. By the word head here, He means authority. He means responsibility for leadership over or on behalf of His wife. And so, Paul says the reason that wives are to be in submission to their own husbands is because the husband is the leader, is the head of the wife. In the same way that Jesus is the head or the leader of the church. Alright, now of course there have been attempts by some evangelicals to say that the word head here, English head, translating the Greek word kephale, got a head right? on, my, on my neck here, that is, that's kephale, that's the word in Greek. This body is the word soma. Okay, you got the kephale, you, you got the soma, you got the body. But So there's this argument to say, no, 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 head doesn't mean authority over, it means something like, source or origin, you know, coming from the, the head, okay? He's, but not authority over. Now, Dr. Wayne Grudem did a study of every time the word kephale is used, we can use it you know, to mean the physical head, and so did they in Greek. And you can use it metaphorically. Like, wh- who's the head honcho here? Who's in charge? Where's the head coach? Right. He's the one who's going to get fired. You don't win the university football, you're going to get fired. Okay. He's the head. Buck stops with him. Ultimate responsibility belongs there. In the Greek, you use it the same way. And so Grudem looked at thousands of uses of kephale in classical Greek, a few hundred years before Christ, during Christ, or first century with Josephus and Philo, and then later in the early church fathers, second and third century in Greek, and the word kephale never means source or origin. When it's used metaphorically, it has to do like the head coach. It has to do with the one where the buck stops, where leadership responsibility resides. But... Just lay that aside, though. Just without all of that, uh, that word study, all you need to do 
is read the sentences that Paul wrote. Because ultimately words are defined the way the author uses them in the context. And Paul says, the husband is the head as Christ is the head of the church. Clearly, head, that normal metaphorical use of leadership, means authority, responsibility for leadership because of Christ's leadership over on behalf of the church. That's Paul's analogy. He's the Savior of the body. Therefore, we, the church, are being served by Jesus' headship. We are being served by His Saviorship. And indeed, as Paul will go on to unfold, we're being served by Jesus' love for us. And so Paul's argument is, as we Christians allow Christ to lovingly serve us, he says, so wives are to allow their husbands to lovingly serve them as their leaders and protectors and providers. That's what he says in verses 22 and 23 seems to be crystal clear. And if we haven't gotten it yet, he he reiterates it in verse 24. So now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Notice, he does not say, as the church submits to Christ, so Christ mutually submits to the church. So that when he turns to husbands, he doesn't use the same verb when he commands us. He doesn't use the same verb, submit. Uses a different verb. He does not say, Husbands, as your wives submit to you, so also you should be in submission to her. Because we all know that husbands and wives are absolutely have no distinct roles that complement one another, particularly in this age. It is mutual submission in marriage. No God-given responsibility for leadership and submissive following. It's not what he says. But he says when he turns to the husbands, here's your verb. Love your wives. He doesn't stop there. 
He pushes it so that no husband will ever feel as if they have arrived at loving their wives. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. So much so that He gave Himself up in a brutal death for her. So that He may sanctify her. And so He goes on, in the same Way Husbands should love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. That's the word of the Lord. Now, Remember, in the larger context of what Paul is doing, he's dealing with authority and submission. One of the fruits of being filled with the Spirit is in differing kinds of context where one is under authority is to be submissive. Paul could have taken from verse 21, Wives, be submissive to your husbands. Done. Children, be submissive to your parents. Got it. Slaves, be submissive to your your masters. Got it. But he does something strange here because what he does in all three of them is he turns to the authority figure. And this is how I'll say it. In order to warn them about any kind of misconstruing their role and their responsibility to warn them to not abuse the role that you're put in. And so as we go down and you read those three, he turns and he says, Fathers, do not abuse your authority by provoking your children to anger. Masters, Do not abuse your authority by threatening those who are under your charge, but instead fear the Lord, for you too have a master in heaven. And husbands, don't you dare mistreat or abuse your wife. Do not think this gives you any reason or excuse to dishonor her, but instead... Serve your wives in love by laying down your lives. Your sinful flesh and desires that may want to use and manipulate and twist things. But lay down your lives just as Jesus laid down His life for our eternal benefit. Whoa! 
to any Christian men who think that headship is a license to manipulate their wives to serve their own sinful desires. Headship is a burden. It's a heavy thing. And stupid are we husbands if we don't go to our wives for counsel on how to lead. It's such a burden. Any leader in any context, from organizations, companies, sports teams, boards, anything is stupid to not glean wisdom from those that they have responsibility for. It particularly here because oftentimes our wives are more educated, they're brighter, they're smarter, they have more insight, they have better intuition over all kinds of areas of life that we're in the dark with. So true headship should drive Every married man to the humility of desperateness for communion with the Holy Spirit in prayer and the Word of God. That's the context. The larger context is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We should constantly hear the responsibility if we are married of headship and leadership there as, oh, the bell's ringing for how desperate you, broken, sinful man, Joe LeMay, you are, you are utterly in need of the fruit of the Spirit and not the way you have been acting in the flesh. We should constantly be desperate for the fruits of love and kindness and gentleness and tenderness and wisdom in our responsibility of leadership on behalf of our wives. And we'll be coming there this is a larger context. Just read the Bible. It's precious. Now, sometimes men will say something like, I can't get my wife to submit. To which there's only one appropriate response. You finally got it. You can't. And it's not your job. Verses 22 to 24 are not written to you, husbands. Our job is not to get them to submit. Whether they are submissive or not, our job, and Jesus does this with us, aren't you glad when we're rebellious? He loves us washes us with the water of the Word. Our job is to love them, not to get them to submit. It's our job before Christ to lay down our lives for her. But wives, this is addressed to you. 
And it's from your Savior. And therefore, here's my logical conclusion. Therefore, it's beautiful. So take your cue, as Paul says, from the church. From the church's submission to Christ. Take that as your cue. Remember Paul says in verse 21, be filled with the Holy Spirit submitting out of the fear of Christ. That's what this text is about. It's about your love for, your walk with your Savior, Jesus Christ. This out of fear of Christ is not a cringing kind of fear. It is a holy fear. It is a devotion to Christ. It is a knowing. He's supreme. Paul's been clear about this in Ephesians. He is seated at the right hand of God. I can trust His Word in hard times or sweet. That's what this is about. It is a holy fear of God instead of fearing people or your culture or sinful husbands. And so, as I'm closing this morning, I want to just encourage you, therefore, women who will be married one day, and those who are, by 1 Peter chapter 3. Apostle Peter writes, Wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, that's Peter is saying, many of you are married to unbelievers. Okay? And he, he says, so that if any of them are unbelievers, they may be one to Christ without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by being submissive to their own husbands. So Peter encourages women. Okay, external, okay, but don't just spend all your life on it, is what he, he says here. It, it's not merely this external, but focus on the internal, hidden person of your heart. He means the essence of who you are. Look at verse 4 again. But let your dressing up, let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit. You believe the Word of the Lord? He says, that's imperishable. That's eternal. That will never end as you are being sanctified that way by Christ in this life. 
That is imperishable. This gentle and this quiet spirit. By spirit here, he means this disposition about you. This gentle disposition. It means that gentle disposition, she's not pushy. She's not insistent constantly on her own selfish rights. You know the type? Some people try to indoctrinate women today to be that type. You can do anything and be just like men in all of our sin. And be pushy. And be assertive in the office, in church, in marriage. And it's not gentle. And it's not the quiet spirit that Paul's talking about. It's a spirit that says, i got to win. Trust me, we men deal with all kinds of sin like that too. But gentle here, it doesn't mean weak. And it doesn't mean a doormat. We'll get to those types of things. Let me just put it in here. Jesus is your Lord. And any, any authority structure from government to church leadership to your husband that demands of you in the name of authority to you to submit to what is clearly sinful, you have no such obligation. But there's a way to go about disobeying your local government, church leadership, or your husband will get there. It's gentle means she's sensitive. She watches her attitude. In in the context here of 1 Peter, he knows he's talking about many women who have husbands who are not born again. They're not Christians. So think about it. She, by God's mercy, has the secret of existence and gets it. She knows Christ is the way. He does it. And yet Peter says, there's a way to even know so much more in such the most important subject in existence You got it. He doesn't. And yet she doesn't have to be unattractive in her personality about it. She doesn't have to be pushy in her attitude or any kind of superiority. Are you so stupid? She has a gentle and a quiet spirit. Now that quiet spirit doesn't mean she doesn't talk. It means she... She's not a warring disposition. Uh Uh-oh, here she comes again. Here comes trouble. There's no quietness here. Here's another battle coming. That's what it means. She's not obnoxious. I'm going to go way out on a limb. She's not unfeminine. She's not a living hurricane of 
turmoil. So let me exhort now. Ladies, women, femininity, what it is to be a woman and not a man, is really precious. And it is holy in the sight of God. And for strong men, good men, it's really attractive. See, this competent, wise, strong, gentle, humble, yet powerful way of dealing with people in general and with a husband in particular, it is not only valuable in the sight of God according to Peter, it is a parable. It is meant to be reflecting the church in her submission to Christ. I'll come to this beginning next week, but that reality there in marriage is not peripheral. Paul in Ephesians 5 goes on to make that crystal clear. God created, no matter what our culture and society is saying, and it's going nuts, He created two sexes. And they are distinct. And they are both valuable. And they are together the humanity that He created. And He created marriage for those two sexes to come together as a parable of Christ Jesus and His bride, the church. I will read it and then we will close. Down to verse 31, Ephesians 5. Paul now at this point, he quotes Genesis 2.24. And therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. End quote. And then Paul says, this mystery is profound. Found. And I, Paul, am saying, that mystery of marriage in Genesis 2.24, I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Christ and the church are not an afterthought. They're not an afterthought since humanity fell into sin. They were the goal and the purpose of God creating at all. To use marriage as an analogy for Christ in the church was not, oh, there's a good analogy from the Bible. Paul says, I will use it. It's not what he thinks. But because 
Everything coalesces from beginning to end around salvation in Jesus Christ. Therefore, God made humanity male and female and created marriage where they would become one flesh to be a parable of that perfect union one day of Christ in the church. I am saying it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you men love his wife just as you love yourself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. Marriage defined as between one man and one woman is designed by God with distinct roles in order to act as a parable of Christ in the church. And I declare from the authority of Scripture that is very precious to God. Let's pray. Oh, Father, my prayer is that every one of us in here or listening would really feel how gospel-centered, how Christ-centered this passage is. And single or married, male or female, May it be used to constantly drive us to you. As justified, yet sinful. As undone, yet trusting that you, our Lord Jesus Christ, are washing us with the water of the Word. And that you will together take your one bride, all those for whom you have died and you will present her to yourself without spot or wrinkle because you are working in us that which is beautiful in your sight do it O Lord to the glory of your name Amen